Hi everyone. Just before we get stuck into this episode of A Moment of Change, we wanted to tell you about the wonderful work being done by Afghan Welcome, a coalition of charities and civil society groups working together with the UK Home Office to offer Afghan refugees the support they need to start a new life in the UK. There are many ways you can support Afghan Welcome as they deliver clothing, housing, employment and advice to Afghans in need. Members of the On Purpose London team are proud to be involved with the Crisis Appeal and you can check out afghanwelcome.org to learn more. Welcome to A Moment of Change, brought to you by On Purpose London. On Purpose is a non-profit organisation and a vibrant community of people that believe in putting purpose before profit as a way to create an economy that works for all. 2021 is a pivotal year in the fight against the climate crisis and a key moment of change will be the COP26 meeting in Glasgow. Across the series, we'll be talking with changemakers from different backgrounds about what COP26 means to them and the work they do. We'll be chatting with people from areas including fashion, food and the green economy, discussing the challenges of the next few years and what practical actions we can all take to make a difference. Welcome to part one of our podcast on fashion changemakers. I'm Chloe. And I'm Veronica. In today's podcast, we'll be talking to Elizabeth Rich. Elizabeth is a senior sustainability strategist at Forum for the Future, which is a leading nonprofit organization that works in partnership with business, government, and civil society to accelerate the shift towards a sustainable future. In her role, she manages key client partnerships, and she's responsible for developing business strategies that drive financial, environmental, and social sustainability. She also helps lead large, multi-stakeholder collaborations, such as Cotton 2040 and Growing Our Future scaling regenerative agriculture across the United States. Elizabeth is also chief of staff for an organization called Fashion Makes Change, which runs an industry-wide initiative to deliver women's empowerment and gender equity in supply chain communities around the world. So, without further ado, let's dive into the conversation and just a little bit of music. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. We're going to jump straight in. So first question we'd like to ask you is, why did you decide to work in sustainable fashion? What is it about sustainable fashion that really drives you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. It's a really great question and it's an emerging field. And so I fell into it a bit. I uh, I was studying economics in college and really focusing on poverty reduction and economic development. Women-dominated industries are often overlooked, the fashion industry being one of them. That is 80% women. It employs one-fifth of the world's population directly or indirectly, if you consider the agriculture inputs to fashion. And it wasn't being considered, but I knew nothing about fashion. And so I did an internship at Vogue on the creative side, fell in love with that creative energy and the way that the industry redesigns itself. And I did an executive development program at Bloomingdale's. They place you in a cohort of buyers or financial planners and rotate you throughout the organization and really learned from the very end of the supply chain what was driving the current economic of fashion. And with that, it's hard to miss the environmental impacts of fashion. And we all know that the environment and social impacts are so interconnected 
five, six years ago that wasn't being discussed at all. There were no pro- programs within sustainable fashion. So at that point in your career, when you'd seen the impacts that fashion was having, how did you then make the change and pivot your focus towards sustainable fashion? I found mentors. So I met a woman, Kara Smith. She was running the Fair Fashion Center and beginning a master's program in sustainable fashion for working professionals and joined her for her inaugural class. When I told my friends and parents and colleagues what I was doing, they really thought I was going to put myself outside of the career force. Um, But lo and behold, five, six years later, it's kind of a topic du jour. And everyone knows that we need to meet our decarbonization goals. We understand the impacts of this industry. It's almost a $3 trillion industry. We need to redesign every single system. It kind of is a quantum redesign. This industry touches on chemicals. It uh, touches on wastewater. It is responsible for about 20% of wastewater worldwide. Carbon emissions, it's responsible for an estimated 8 to 10% of GHG emissions worldwide because of our processing facilities and the energy usage. And it, on the flip side, it's the first step out of poverty for many people. So going back to what led me to this industry, it is a tool for economic development, but we need to radically rethink the way that we operate and set up our value chains and consumption models You speak about fashion and sustainability with so much passion. Despite all the challenges that you've articulated, what is it that really motivates and continues to drive you? What drives me? So no day looks the same to me. One day I will be discussing human rights policies and living wage strategies with clients. The next, you're really looking and nerding out on chemistry or the electrical grid or setting up virtual power purchase agreements. So As a curious person, um, it's a constant learning journey for me, and you get to meet incredible people along the way. It's so inspirational to hear your journey. There's so many different elements and facets to it. The focus of our conversation today, as you you already know, is all around the four goals of of COP26. So those are around uh, mitigation, so getting to net zero, around adaptation, Mm -hmm. um, so adapting to protect the communities and natural habitats around us, financing and how you finance the change, and also around collaboration and how you bring that cross-collaboration, which it sounds like you do a lot of. So I guess let's start on the on the science side. We know recently that the fashion industry released their Race to Zero roadmap over the next few years. I'd really like to hear from your perspective if the roadmap that's been laid out is achievable. Also, what are the biggest challenges that you think the fashion industry will face in coming carbon neutral? Yeah, absolutely. And what I love about this upcoming COP is we are taking the roadmap seriously and setting targets and metrics to meet these ambitions, where in previous ones, we set out the goals to do this, but it seems like, especially after the release of the latest IPCC report, the business and corporate world is really taking this seriously. So to your first question, do I think it's achievable? Absolutely. It's 100% achievable. We have the solutions that we need to fight this climate crisis today. We had them yesterday. The fashion industry is also an industry that redesigns itself up to 10 times a year, right? We're chasing a fast fashion model. We're used to launching new collections now every uh, four to six weeks. We know how to adapt and we have nimble processes from a design perspective. What we need 
to now look at is how do we set up our supply chains, which have not been redesigned for the last 15 years, if you're going to be generous and gracious on that, how do we map and use the data that's available for us to let's lead on carbon. If you look at the supply chain, the most material from a carbon perspective is in our manufacturing base. We know it. We know that we manufacture the majority of clothing using coal and fossil fuels within Southeast Asia, China, and India. And there are programs to drive efficiencies for energy and to convert this manufacturing base into renewable energy. It's possible. We have microgrid solutions. We have solar solutions. We have offshore wind solutions. I think for the first time, we have the whole industry activated. There's the Fashion Pact, which was set up by Macron and Caring as the Secretariat. They're looking at biodiversity and carbon and water and working together for the first time. But we need the attention and the prioritization and the finance focused on this. Yeah, definitely. Uh, A big, big challenge that I think faces a lot of this movement. We need the the financiers and the people with all the money to to help us move this along. The biggest barrier will be getting financing. There There is an upfront capital cost and there is not always a business case in the short term to carbon mitigation and sustainability strategies. If you go out 10, 15 years, absolutely there's a business case for carbon sequestration, carbon mitigation, and adaptation. But changing a $3 trillion industry supply chain, it's going to take a lot of work. It's, It's turning around a large ship. If you're looking at regenerative agriculture, which really touches on the fashion industry and the way that we grow uh, raw fibers and grays, how do you finance the transition? If you think about going from a conventional agriculture field to organic or regenerative, if you're going to certify it, it takes three years. You can't expect a farmer or farm community to make that transition without long-term contracts, which is a type of financial commitment with financing and the long-term horizons for the investment and the ROI on that. It's going to take every single financial tool out there to get us out of this. But uh, there is a need to encourage more of those incumbent financial stakeholders to invest. Definitely. We know we know all too well from on purpose and the different elements of finance that we learn about is a, a huge part of our of the course that we do and um lots of people join, you know, not knowing much about it and then go away with knowing a little bit more but still so much more to learn. It's a, a whole different kettle of fish if you haven't come from that background oh. in that space. And you know, it's so important to learn about. Totally. And I have an economics background and I'm on a continuous learning journey. Um, and the financial industry and the economic system is constantly changing. So it is one that you're always constantly learning new ways to innovate. So we have a, a book club, me and Veronica are a part of, and the book we are reading at the moment is something called Less is More, which fundamentally disagrees with this idea of capitalism and constant growth, which we are all kind of pushing towards and, and which a lot of our financial system currently runs on. What are your perspectives on this? Capitalism has a lot to work on. It's the best economic system that we have come up with in this world. But I really, and I really believe we can use this system, but it's pricing in the externalities. So when you look at what hasn't been priced in, that's where I'm so encouraged by the work of SASB and the Task Force for Climate Disclosure, Mark Carney's work on encouraging standardization of financial reporting on sustainability and climate risks 
and then starting to price this in because nothing comes at a cheap cost. So when we talk about that fossil fuel energy is cheaper, it's off the backs of these frontline communities, climate pollution. And so if we can set a carbon price, if we can price in these externalities, you will clearly see the swing to a a transition to renewables and a sustainable and just future. So don't give up on capitalism altogether, but rather reform it in a way that works for all. And I guess this brings us to the question of adaptation and what communities around the world can do to address and mitigate the impact of climate change. And I know you've done a lot of work on this already. In your view, how can we ensure that while we are reforming our economic models, we don't leave anyone behind? That's a great question, and I am... And passionate really about uh, we need a million solutions and there is no silver bullet solution. But the one that's closest to my heart is a project I'm working on currently. It's called Fashion Makes Change. And we're convening the fashion industry to raise money for women's empowerment. And you may ask, well, what does women's empowerment have to do with solving the climate change? And in fact, there's a study. It's, it's an interesting study called Project Drawdown. And it was published in 2017. And it ranked our top 80 solutions to fighting the climate crisis of current solutions that we have and are ready to deploy today. And empowering girls and women ranked sixth in the amount of carbon we can reduce if we educate and empower all women around the globe. Family planning ranks seventh. So in fact, if you put empowering women and giving them reproductive resources, of reproductive health resources and family planning tools, it ranks number one in how do we fight climate change. Now, when you think about it, it's intuitive. Empowered women build resilient communities. They make long-term decisions for their families, their communities, and their governments. You see more progressive policies come into play when women take leadership positions. And so with this program, we are convening the fashion industry to aggregate funding for women's empowerment. Convening the fashion industry to aggregate funding sounds like an ambitious undertaking. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We are funding programs through the Empower Work Collective, which is a collaborative initiative between the UN, ILO Better Work Program, GAPS PACE Program, CARE International, and BSR's HER Project, who've already been doing incredible programming within apparel supply chains. Yeah, fantastic. What kind of empowerment are you giving those women in, in the fashion supply chain? What What is the key skills that they are looking for or need support with? Yes, yeah, so we're beginning with key manufacturing geographies, Bangladesh, Vietnam, China, India, Indonesia, and most have not received education past fifth grade, and that would be an optimistic estimate. And so it's it's elementary education and empowerment programs when you think about what we have been privileged to receive ourselves. But it's financial literacy. How do you read a payslip? How do you set up a bank account? Can you set up digital uh, financial tools for them? Can you set up leadership training of what does it mean to have agency in your own life? What does it uh, mean to take leadership over your own career? And what are opportunities outside of apparel manufacturing? What is harassment? To diagnose the issue, you need to know that it's happening. And many women, and you've seen this epidemic throughout the COVID pandemic of sexual harassment. 
which is horrible. You have to first teach what that means. And then how do you respond to it? What are your rights as a worker? What are tools and resources? What's the importance of health and hygiene? Washing hands, washing hands with soap. It's geographic specific. So you really need to take a needs-based assessment. It needs to be participatory. It needs to take account the women um, and men that you are empowering, but really for the benefit of the woman working in these communities. We all need to embrace this mentality of citizens of the world. One of the key aims of COP is around collaboration. And if we view ourselves all as citizens of the world, you know, in theory, then we should be a lot more collaborative. What are some of the collaborations that you're seeing across the fashion industry that are really exciting you and, and, and driving change? Yeah, and collaboration is the way we're going to dig ourselves out of this climate crisis and equality crisis, everything. No one actor, individual company, government can do this alone. We are interconnected. And if you're going to drive transformational systems change, you need to bring all stakeholders to the table and understand where the leverage points in that system are. So collaboration is so critically important. And you can't just collaborate for the sake of collaboration. You really need to do it with diligence and you need to make commitments and use it effectively. There's the Responsible Business Coalition. It's a CEO uh group that is collaborating across the industry. You have the fashion pact that are setting uh, key targets and metrics to measure themselves against the women's empowerment collaboration I was talking about. You have the race to zero, which has been fantastic. So for the fashion roadmap, you have textile exchange pushing up preferred fiber portfolios, collaborating with Apparel Impact Institute, looking at efficiencies of factories globally Um, and helping them adapt to water waste and energy efficiency, fashion exchange, all of the amazing initiatives that are going on. So it's going to take it all. um, But we have the ingredients, and it's now just time to put them together. So as you said, we have all the ingredients, but can we use them to create a different model, one that isn't grounded in continuous consumerism? Looking at if we are going to chase a non-consumption model within fashion and really change the business model and economic model of this, because we need to reduce the amount we consume, you need to look at the impact on the communities that are dependent on it as a source of income. And if you look at Bangladesh, 80% of Bangladesh GDP is apparel manufacturing. And you saw the effect As COVID shut down the factories and you withdrew from these areas. So you need to look at how can you transition these communities into different employment forms? How can you upskill them as you see onshoring and automation into different jobs that will be relevant in the future, jobs that will be relevant for their children and uh, future generations? And how can you work on policies to really help support that? I think Vietnam is doing a great job trying to address this. You see South Korea as an enormous and amazing example of a economy that was really based in apparel manufacturing that has shifted to more uh, technology. How do you see the role of consumers supporting this transition? You talked around we have to think about our consumerist behavior. Are there ways that 
that we might want to consider helping and supporting that transition? Absolutely. And what a terrific question. I think it begins with seeing ourselves all as citizens of the world. And I think COVID really was a great representation of how interconnected everything is. And you see supply chain disruptions. So the impacts of a manufacturer shutting down in China or in Indonesia because of COVID lockdowns, the effect it has on just trying to buy basic goods and the delay, or you see the impacts of cutting down on wildlife um, and the importance of conservation efforts and the effect on human health. It begins with an education and awareness of how interconnected the entire world is and getting out of this siloed mind that if you're buying clothes, you have no idea what has gone into it. And if you're buying a shirt, it's educating the consumer that it's probably traveled thousands of miles back and forth across the globe. So the cotton might have been grown in Lubbock, Texas. It was probably ginned close by. It might have been flown to China for a sp- to be ginned and spun. It might have been weaved in Indonesia. It might have been sent back to China to get printed and dyed. Sent to Turkey to have the buttons sewn on it. Sent to a distribution facility in Europe. Flown back to New York, Fifth Avenue, where you've now bought it. How can we start building this consumer awareness that you speak about? We should not be chasing a fast fashion mentality. And I don't think anyone at this point can argue against that. I think we've seen the detriment of chasing consumption. And I mean, there's statistics that a third of clothing that's produced is never sold. So even from the current way that we value companies, that's a third that's being wasted. And if you think about all of the resources that go into producing that wastage, it's enormous. You should be aligning your purchasing habits to brands that are supporting sustainability initiatives and investing in causes to help redesign the supply chain. So often the news is so heavy and dark that even myself who works in this space of solutions, it can feel heavy and you just want to crawl back into bed and put the covers over you and pretend that nothing matters. Um, But it's so it's. Taking those small steps, it's understanding that by washing your clothes on cold, on a cold cycle in the washing machine, it cleans the clothes just as well. It reduces your energy impact up to 80% of the energy used because you don't have to heat up uh, the water. And that's where most of the carbon emissions are spent at the end of a garment's life cycle. It's getting comfortable with re-wearing clothes, purchasing clothes that have durability. It's not feeling the desire that every time you post on social media, you need to be in a new outfit. And that's retraining our psyche. It's finding uh, new ways to get that feeling of refreshment that I feel like consumers chase when we are buying a new clothes or if you have a new event, you want to be putting on a new face. It's getting comfortable with swapping clothes with friends. It's upcycling. I love what the Real Real, the Vestair Collective, Reflaunt, all of these new models are doing. It's amazing that consignment is sexy again. I think consignment was a hidden secret for some of the most fashionable um, and the luxury players out there and uh, purchasers that it's an amazing place to upcycle clothes and get chase that feeling. You talked about education and building awareness. In your opinion, what role do brands need to play in all of this? Yeah, so many brands are really awakening to this and starting to share their journeys. 
of sustainability and not being scared to put themselves out in front of the pack. I think Patagonia is an amazing example, and they've been doing it since the 90s with their approach to organic cotton. And obviously now they're become leaders in sustainability and advocating for policy change, et cetera. Christy Dawn is a brand that I really admire, who's really reinventing their supply chain and sharing their journey of setting regenerative cotton farms up in India and what it takes to implement these strategies. The Caring Group are huge leaders in sustainability, and they've had their EPNL, their environmental profit and loss. It's brands also leaning in to putting out less collections. We don't need a collection every four to six weeks. It's scary. I mean, the fashion industry used to be two, maybe three seasons. Can we get off this cycle of needing to refresh our stores every couple of weeks? Can we look at how we communicate and market differently? Now it's making it accessible to the modern day consumer and the average consumer who's not looking. So can you create on product labeling that shares the sustainability journey so consumers familiarize themselves with what it takes and brands that are supporting this? Do you think there are certain consumer groups that are already putting this pressure on brands to share more about the journey and and share more about the sustainability of a product? This is cliche, but it's really Gen Z. They are much more awakened to the climate crisis. They're the ones who are going to deal with it the most. They're the generation that's grappling with, for most of their life, they've been dealing with climate volatility. They will continue to see extreme weather events. They have not been in the leadership and power positions to make choices, but you see advocates like Greta and the Fridays for Climate marches across the world. And it's connecting with them of what you do. I mean, I think the new social media platforms are amazing for them to connect. I don't know if TikTok's going to be around in five years, but right now you see climate advocates on TikTok and how can you educate yourselves with that and feeling like you can be, again, part of the solution, that it's not this massive problem that it's going to take a leader sitting in a corporate office somewhere to solve, that we all need to lean into it. We all need to embrace this mentality of citizens of the world. And it's that education campaign that if you're going into a store and a t-shirt is $2.99, think about the inputs that are needed and really think critically about how is that shirt $2.99 that that does not make sense. On the question of communications and marketing, is there a danger that a lot of that is actually borderline greenwashing? I think a lot of the big brands have become very adaptable and very uh, agile and they know really what the consumer wants, but they've also been able to tailor their communications to meet those needs without fundamentally changing the practices. So how do we mitigate these risks? Yeah, no, greenwashing is a huge issue. Consumers are smart, right? We don't give enough credit to people who are reading it and can really see through this greenwashing tactics that they'll get called out and uh, brands won't be greenwashing. There really has to be strategies and action behind the word they're putting out. But with communications tactics, it's also, it's really looking at like an REI model. They shut down for Black Friday. So for the biggest sale day of the year, the day after Thanksgiving in the United States, that their stores are closed to say, disconnect. We shouldn't be chasing Christmas sales the day after Thanksgiving. This is a holiday of giving thanks. It is a holiday of spending time with family and friends. Like go outside, spend quality time. 
it's those communications tactics that it's not leaning into driving consumption and spending and buying stuff, but it's experiential. Um, you have, again, Patagonia, they're great marketers, but it's don't buy this shirt campaign and it's communicating the services that they offer, whether it's repair or rental. So it's, it's the communications and the advertising industry at large of also needing to change business model away um, from just selling things to people um, and communicating messages uh, to shift the mindset. Perfect. I feel like we've literally just scratched the surface, but I am conscious of time. So I will ask you the, the final wrap up question. So what is the one action that we can all take today that will make a difference and drive a more sustainable fashion model? Yeah, what a great ending question. And I think for anyone listening, it's understanding that we're all part of the system. Every single person wears clothing. And so it's beginning to align your purchasing habits to brands that are supporting the causes near and dear to you and that are supporting a transition to a cleaner and more regenerative and just future. And so whether that's renting the next outfit that you're wearing to a party, whether it's swapping clothes with a sibling or a friend, it's understanding that you all have a role and your words and influence really matter. Support brands that are supporting the causes that you're Instagram it, tweet it, share it with your friends that this is a brand that you support. Again, I'm not for finger pointing or shaming, but you can applaud and encourage. I guarantee that brands and the industry are looking for that encouragement and support. And so you can have positive reinforcement. Donate to causes that matter to you. Donate to the individual initiatives, whether it's women's empowerment or driving efficiency or water, um, or even if it's a local beach cleanup, understanding that the small actions that we take day to day really do matter, not to get um, discouraged by the enormity of the issue, but to continue uh, to play a role in it, the solution. Fantastic and really encouraging to know that we can all be part of the solution. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This is, I could talk for days about sustainable fashion and sustainability at large. So such a joy to be with you both today. And there we have it. I was really encouraged and really impressed by Elizabeth's positivity and her belief that we're on the right track. And as individuals, we all have the power to make a difference, no matter how small. Yes, 100%. Really motivational. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. So do join us again for part two of our discussion with fashion change makers, where we will be chatting with Sabina, a designer and fashion business owner, amongst many other accolades. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by On Purpose London in the run up to COP26 to help us understand how we can all be better change makers for the new green economy. If you'd like to learn more about On Purpose and the associate programme, please go to onpurpose.org. If you've enjoyed listening today, please like, rate, review, subscribe and share on wherever you find your podcasts.